Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams of pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hello, Lauren. Um, we, we went on a little trip last week. Yeah. Did we ever? It was hot in Las Vegas. It was fun in Las Vegas. It was uh, wild in Las Vegas. It was Vegas. very wild in Las Vegas, for sure. And... Um, uh, we stayed at the Paris Hotel. Ah, uh, we oui. the most luxurious of all the hotels. The that... most French of all the hotels. <laughs> yes. in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. Like very en boue, if you will. Uh, and so there was a big Eiffel Tower, of course, and an Arc de Triomphe that you would drive through. It's it was so authentic. It felt like I was. It was in like France. you were there. Yeah, it was yeah. like we were in France. Uh-huh. So I was inspired by the incredible. Uh, uh, surroundings <laughs> of our trip to Las Vegas. And I have decided that my topic today is going to be on famous architects. We built this city on rock and roll. Uh, so do you know any famous architects, Julia? Ooh, yes. Okay. Art Vandalay. Mm-hmm. Great architect. The most famous of them all. Uh, Who is it? Are there any others? Who isn't an architect? (laughs) Uh, James Hoban. Uh, What? Irish architect. Oh, yes, of course. Um, Uh, Made the the White House. Yes. Yeah. That's true. James Hoban. I will not Uh be talking uh about him uh today, uh unfortunately. Uh, I know the guy that made the pyramid at the Louvre. Uh, I am Pay. We we will be talking about I am Pay. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good. You got some good. You know some architects. I know some architects. Well, I'm going to tell you a few Please, more architects. tell me more. Okay, so we're going to start with the earliest guy. We're going to go in chronological order. Okay. Okay. His name was Sir Christopher Wren, and he was the architect of post-Great Fire London. Uh, he was responsible for rebuilding 52 churches in the city after the Great Fire, including St. Paul's Cathedral, mm. uh, which was completed in 1710. Uh, He was an English anatomist, astronomer, geometer, and mathematician physicist, as well as one of the most highly acclaimed English architects in history. He was educated in Latin and Aristotelian physics at the University of Oxford, and Wren was a founder of the Royal Society and was president from 1680 to 1682. The Royal Society, you say? The Royal Society, yes. Oh, yes. It was a society of... um, well-off and highly intellectual academic men, of course. Oh, well. Uh, his scientific work was also highly regarded by people such as Isaac Newton and Blaise Pascal. Uh, so in Wren's age during like the 17th century, the profession of architect as understood today did not exist. Okay. Um, since the early years of the 17th century, it was not unusual for well-educated young men known as virtuosi to take up architecture as a gentlemanly activity, uh, which was a pursuit widely accepted as a branch of applied mathematics. So if you were, if you had a rich daddy Mm -hmm. and if you went to something as fancy as Oxford or Cambridge and you happen to have a scientific brain, you could dabble in architecture. It's Uh, just like a fun pastime. Yes. This weekend we're going to to the hunt. Yes. And then next weekend I'm going to build. Yes. I'm going to, no, I'm just going to make drawings of buildings. Mm -hmm. Yes. And use math. So um, they were probably super insufferable. I mean, let's be honest. So when Wren was a student at Oxford, he became familiar with Vitruvius's De Architectura and absorbed intuitively the fundamentals of architectural design. Mm, In English medieval tradition, buildings had been constructed to the needs of the patron and the suggestions of building professionals, such as master carpenters or master bricklayers. So 
Um, St. Paul's Cathedral in yes. London has been around since like the 13th century okay. in various iterations. It was actually like this. Apparently there's rumors that it was the site of a pagan like sacrificial mm. space. Naturally. So there wasn't really, uh, it was called Old St. Paul's. And there wasn't really like um, an architect for it. Mm-hmm. It was like the king said, we're going to have, we're going to build a church there. We're going to call it St. Paul's. It's going to be the biggest church. You guys go to town and do it. So there wasn't like a designer. So Christopher Wren in his building of the, like the restoration of St. Mm-hmm. Paul, he is seen as the architect of St. Paul as we know it today. Okay, great. So just FYI. Because London had a really tough oh, end of the 17th tough, century. It had a tough couple thousand years. Yeah, for sure. Um, so through the Royal Society and his use of optics, the king noticed Wren's works. So uh, Wren also really enjoyed um, like looking at the stars. He loved telescopes uh, and yes. would like build telescopes. These and are it, all very rich people oh, activities. So, so rich. Like this the man 18th had century. the softest hands. Yep. Oh, he was just such a big baby. I bet he had really <laughs> pale skin and very weak eyes. So <laughs> he, he, he also, so he would build telescopes with his friends and they would look at the stars. And he actually like wrote a whole thing on Saturn. Okay. Like he saw Saturn and was like studying it and he saw Mars and he was like studying it. And then he made, he built a 3D model of the moon, which mm-hmm. Charles II was absolutely entranced by. He was like, wow. give me that moon. And Christopher Wren was like, no, thank you. Um, so the king was into Christopher Wren. Okay. He was like, this guy's smart. He's got a moon that I really want. <laughs> <laughs> he studied Saturn. Uh, so in 1661, Wren was approached by his cousin Matthew with a royal commission as, quote, one of the best geometers in Europe to direct the refortification of Tangier in Morocco. Oh. Um, uh, Wren excused himself on grounds of health. He didn't want to refortify Tangier. Mm. That was something for for uh, lower class gentlemen oh. with rough hands mm. and strong eyesight and many children. So, uh, Wren had been involved in repairs of the old cathedral since 1661 because the old cathedral, old St. Paul's Cathedral, had been falling apart because it had been around since the 13th century. So, and it was made of wood. So yeah. it was tough. The built, yeah. The yeah. buildings then. The building then, a lot of wood. A lot of wood. A lot of dry. Uh, ooh, I learned about cob. Ooh, what's cob? Cob houses are, um, they mix mud and dirt and water and straw all mm. together and then they like pack it real 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 tight yeah and make like walls out of that okay so it's kind of like a dirt dirt and straw oh, okay and you have to let it cure so oh, you sure, can yeah. only build like during the summer months when the days are long and the and the sun will bake the oh. cob oh that sounds um like very uh uh insulating yeah seems like it would be warm in the winter and cool yes, in the very summer. eco-friendly yeah we should do cob houses now um, just saying. sorry, I derailed you. No, no, it's totally, totally fine. We're talking um, about these the uh, St. Paul's Church is falling down. St. Paul's Church is falling down. In the spring of 1666, he made his first design for a dome for St. Paul's, <sighs> and everyone was like, "What a what? dome! That's crazy! You crazy? Like, you made a Ren. you made a moon, but yeah, but you can't it, make a dome. You can't. It's a building. Yeah, but it was accepted in principle on August 27th, 1666, the uh, year of the the plague yes well also the year of the fire one week later the great fire of london reduced two-thirds of the city to smoking desert and old saint paul's to a ruin mm. coincidence i think not sir christopher wren create like arsonist arsonist <laughs> we should do a comic book about that 
All right. So, um, oh, it says Ren was most likely at Oxford at the time. Wink. Wink. Uh, but the news. I mean, it's not that far away. I've been there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he could probably a day by horseback, please. Uh, the news drew him at once to London. Okay. He was like, I got to get on that dome. So between September 5th and 11th, he ascertained the precise area of devastation. <laughs> he needs that dome. Needs it. He's at D. Uh, he worked out a plan for rebuilding the city and submitted it to Charles II. Others also submitted plans, but no new plan proceeded any further than the paper on which it was drawn. Uh, a rebuilding act which provided rebuilding of some essential buildings was passed in 1667. And in 1669, the King's Surveyor of Works died and Wren was p- promptly installed. It took 36 years under Wren's direction for the church to be built. Yeah. Whoa. So it was basically his magnum opus. But other notable buildings by him include the Royal Naval College in Greenwich and the south front of Hampton Court Palace. Uh, the Wren Building, the main building at the College of William and Mary mm-hmm. in Virginia, is attributed to him. Yeah. Yeah. So there you have it. That's like a quick thing on Sir Christopher Wren. Great. All right. We're going to jump a couple hundred years into the future. Here we go. And now we're going to jump ahead to get to Frank Lloyd Wright, arguably the greatest architect of the modern age and a real dickhole. So <laughs> he was raised in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Wright was the golden boy of his family and was doted on by his educator mother, who declared at his birth that her eldest son would grow up to design beautiful buildings. So you know this kid at 10 was insufferable. He was the worst because his mother, oh, she loved him You're so like, much. like, let's build a blanket fort, Frankie. And, he was and he's like, like yeah. actually, actually, I'm going to design beautiful buildings. Yeah, he was awful. So he was... Um, also an interior designer. He was a writer and an educator. Um, he eventually designed more than a thousand structures, 532 of which were completed. Okay. Uh, he believed in designing structures that were in harmony with humanity and its environment, uh, a philosophy he called organic architecture. Okay. So he was the pioneer of what came to be called the Prairie School Movement of Architecture. Uh, in addition to his houses, Wright designed original and innovative offices, churches, schools, skyscrapers, hotels, museums, and other structures. He often designed interior elements for these buildings as well, including furniture and stained glass. And the stained glass tends to be, um, aside very from the buildings, square, very, yes, geometric. Um, he was recognized in 1991 by the American Institute of Architects as the greatest American architect of all time. So he started working as an apprentice under the famous architect Louis Sullivan in his Chicago firm of Adler and Sullivan in 1888. Uh, Louis Sullivan designed the first skyscraper, which was the Guarantee Building on Pearl Street in Buffalo, New York. The first skyscraper. The first was skyscraper. In Buffalo, New York. In Buffalo, New York. Yep. Wow. It's amazing. It's still there. It's uh, tiled in terracotta, which they just recently had resurfaced. It's beautiful. It looks great. Um, while I was interning, full disclosure. While I was interning at the Darwin Martin House, which is a Frank Lloyd Wright complex in Buffalo, New York, I got to write the tour for the Sullivan Building for the Guarantee Building. Full disclosure. Yeah, full disclosure. I was a very Not busy intern. Yes. I was a very busy intern in uh, the summer of 2009, I think, 2008. So... um Yes, Wright had expensive tastes and spent the majority of his salary on fancy clothes in his brand new car, so he started designing houses on the side for extra cash until Sullivan found out and fired him. Uh, okay. So that was the beginning of All right. yeah, his whole, um, like the prairie school thing mm-hmm. started in the Chicago area because he was designing houses for people. So between 1900 and 1901, Frank Lloyd Wright completed four houses which have since been identified as the onset of this prairie style. Okay. Um, his residential designs of the area were known as prairie houses because the designs complemented the land around Chicago. Okay. 
Prairie style houses often had a combination of these features. So one or two stories with one story projections, an open floor plan, low pitched roofs with broad overhanging eaves, strong horizontal lines, ribbons of windows, often casements, a prominent central chimney, built in stylized cabinetry and a wide use of natural materials, especially stone and wood. So the idea was that it was very, they were very low Low to the ground. ground. The, the, roofs were kind of like hung very low so the windows you can actually see into the building that was kind of the idea there's a lot of private space built in um he also did a lot of landscaping so that it would like right. the, the land around the house would look very organic um so it was a whole aesthetic it wasn't just a house it was like a lifestyle um so local gossips in the Chicago area, okay. noticed Wright's flirtations, and he developed a reputation in Oak Park as a man about town. Hmm. His family had grown to six children, but Wright was not parental, and he relied on his wife, Catherine, to care for them. Okay? Gets okay. worse. So in 1903, Wright designed a house for Edwin Cheney, a neighbor in Oak Park, and immediately took, into, uh, took a liking to Cheney's wife, Mama. Her name is Mama. Mama? Yeah. Oh. Mama Cheney was a modern woman with interests outside the home. She was an early feminist, and Wright viewed her as his intellectual equal. Uh, the two fell in love, and they began the t- became the talk of the town, as they often could be seen taking rides in Wright's automobile through Oak Park. And Wright's wife, Kitty, sure that this attachment would fade, as the others had, refused to grant him a divorce. So, Mama had to live in Europe for two years to obtain a divorce from Edwin and the grounds of desertion. And in 1909, even before the Roby House, which is his famous, his most famous house in the Oak Park, okay. Chicago area, uh, was completed, Wright and Mama Cheney met up in Europe, leaving their spouses and children behind. Oof. So there's a, a historical fiction book called Loving Frank, um, which is about Frank Lloyd Wright and his dallyings uh-huh. with various women. He was married, I think, three or four times. Um, so, but uh, the majority of it is based around the following story. So on August 15th, 1914, while Wright was working in Chicago, Julian Carlton, a male servant from Barbados who had been hired several months earlier, set fire to the living quarters <gasps> of Tallison, which was Wright's home in New Mexico, and murdered seven people with an axe as the fire burned. What? The dead included Mama, her two children, John and Martha Cheney, a gardener named David Lindblom, a draftsman named Emil Brodell, a workman named Thomas Brunker and another workman's son, Ernest Weston. Two people survived the mayhem, one of whom, William Weston, helped to put out the fire that almost completely consumed the residential wing of the house. Wait, this is real? Yeah, this is absolutely what I've happened. I've never heard of this. Oh, it's it's horrifying. Like, it's a... This guy just went berserk and chopped up people with an axe and then set fire to the house. It was crazy. It was terrible. A terrible thing. And, I, and well, I'm not condoning it. I just no, say I I've never heard of it. No, this I know. This was awful. No, Julia. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying it like that. I'm just saying like, I can't believe. No, it's surprising. Like yeah. I hadn't heard about it until I started working at the, the Martin house. And it wasn't even something that we talked about. Never we weren't allowed it. to. Holy moly. Yeah, it was like a whole thing. So it wasn't, it, I guess it was at the time like a huge deal. I mean, obviously it was a huge <laughs> at deal. The time, at the time. Yeah, at the time. This people, was a big deal. Like lost mm-hmm. their minds. But it would be like if Brad Pitt, oh my God, and had all his children and he divorced, you know, he's divorced of Angelina Jolie and he had them at the house and then one of his servants like chopped him all up and oh set fire God. to his big house in Hollywood. Yeah, it's crazy. So the fire burned. 
Uh, Carlton swallowed hydrochloric acid immediately <gasps> following the attack in an attempt to kill himself. Uh, and he was nearly lynched on the spot, but was taken to the Dodgeville jail. Carlton died from starvation seven weeks after the attack, despite medical attention. <gasps> so this guy died too. So there's no one to blame because the guy died. Oh my gosh. It's terrible. But so, Frank Lloyd Wright wasn't there. Frank Lloyd Wright was not there. He was in Chicago at the time. Ugh. It was terrible. So um, when I worked at the Darwin Martin house, so in 1907, Frank Lloyd Wright uh, designed a house for Darwin Martin, who was a prominent Buffalo uh, businessman. He worked for the Larkin Soap Company uh, and actually started his own business after that. And so he commissioned Frank Lloyd Wright to build his a house for him. And uh, the house was huge and his and Darwin Martin's wife uh, actually absolutely hated it. But he also built a house for Darwin's sister, Laura Martin Barton. Yes. Uh, behind the house. And then he also built um, like a, a breezeway type thing and mm-hmm. then a greenhouse and then a carriage house and then a gardener's cottage. Nope. So it's a huge... Mm-hmm. Uh, complex that actually went into disrepair for a very long time and in the late 90s the martin house complex restoration the martin complex restoration corporation they raised money to have it restored and now it's back to its like original glory they spent Great. a ton of money on it yeah. and it looks so beautiful if you're ever in buffalo definitely go to the, the martin house complex it's you get a full tour you get to see the the upstairs and the downstairs um it's like a a really beautiful example of like early Frank Lloyd Wright architecture and also just like a cool space to be in because it's so, it still feels so modern even though it was built in 1907. Right. Um, and uh, it's just really beautiful. And also they, um, you can actually rent out the gardener's cottage as like to oh, stay overnight. It's fine. like a bed and breakfast. It's really cool. cool. Um, so they spent a lot of time doing that. But, you know, when we would give tours and things, people would always ask us about like, oh, so tell us about like his ex-wives and tell us about the murder and all this stuff. <laughs> And people want to know because Frank Lloyd Wright was kind of a dog and he was really, he had a lot of, for all of his good qualities, he had a lot of bad qualities. Like he kept keys to every house that he built and he would go in when they weren't there and rearrange the furniture in the way that he wanted it to be rearranged. That's really dumb. And Darwin Martin's wife was like losing her eyesight and she hated the house because she couldn't see her way around it. And then people would... Come in and move the furniture. And then Frank Lloyd Wright would come in and move the furniture around on her. It's poor woman's being tortured. And he also, Frank Lloyd Wright also designed a dress for her. Okay. Um, to wear. And actually she's photographed in it for uh, one of like the architectural magazines mm-hmm. that was it was featured in. And you can see on her face she's like half turning because he designed the back of the dress. It's really beautiful. It's yeah. like this kind of weird cross stitching and all the stuff. And he's looking she's looking over her shoulder and it's supposed to be like kind of coy and beautiful because she's still very young at this point. But you can tell she's just like, get me out of this goddamn thing. I hate him so much. She was just over it. Um and then he also built Grey Cliff, which was their um summer home down on the lake um in Derby. And that's another place that you can go to and visit. So of all the houses that he built. Yeah. Are most of them still standing? Um, it seems that the majority of them are still standing. Yeah. Because he was a he was a prominent architect like from the jump. So yeah. if you had a Dar like Darwin Martin, if you had a Frank Lloyd Wright mm-hmm. built house, like you were keeping it. Right. Um I mean, because I grew up in Pittsburgh, so mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. 
And he was extremely prolific. I mean, 532 yeah. buildings. There's a handful that have been um, torn down. The Larkin Soap building was mm-hmm. in Buffalo. It only, it, he built it in 1930 and it was torn down in 1950. And it was like this huge, beautiful Art Deco, like stone building. It was gorgeous. There's like these photos mm-hmm. of it in the interior and they just tore it down to make a parking lot. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But, you know, his his architecture was so unique that it they weren't frequently... Um, torn down purposefully. Right. Um, so uh, prominent other prominent works of his include the aforementioned Roby House in Chicago, Falling Water in Mill Run, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. um, the Darwin Martin House Complex in Buffalo, and the Guggenheim Museum in New York City, oh, uh, yes. which was done later in life. He did that in the 60s. And there he has a Frank Lloyd Wright house here in Rochester, yes. which I can see from my bedroom. Oh, you can see it from your bedroom? Yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that is still under private yes. ownership. They restored it in like 2012, yeah. back to like its glory, and it's gorgeous. It's I, so beautiful. When I'm w- taking a walk through the neighborhood, I maybe slow down a little and yeah, really take it in. Yeah, and that's prairie style as mm-hmm. well, uh, much, much like the so. the Martin House. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on, finally, a lady, a lady, a lady architect. So uh, Julia Morgan was an American architect. She designed more than 700 buildings in California during a long and prolific career. Um, she is best known for her work on Hearst Castle in San Simeon, California. Uh, yes. Uh, Morgan was the first woman to be admitted to the architecture program at, and I'm going to botch some French here, L'École Nationale Supérieure des Beaux-Arts in Paris. And the first close woman... Enough. Close enough. <laughs> and the, she was the first woman architect licensed in California. Um, she designed many buildings for institutions serving women and girls, including YWCA buildings and buildings for Mills College, which was an all-women's college. Uh, she grew up in wealth and with a strong mother who ran the household and indirectly provided the money. Uh, Morgan resisted her mother's suggestion that she have a debutante party to celebrate her availability for marriage, and she argued that she should first gain a career so her parents were supportive of this wish. Uh, what, she, what year is this? This is um, this is l- late uh late 1800s so she graduated from berkeley in 1894 okay uh she had a degree in civil engineering and she was the only woman in her engineering class nice she gained a year of work experience building with um maybach an architect and then traveled to paris in 1896 to prepare for the beaux arts entrance exam uh the school had never before allowed a woman to study architecture but in 1897 it opened its entry process to women applicants largely because of pressure from a union of French women artists whom Morgan characterized as bohemians. Great. Morgan met with these women and was exposed to their feminist views. They discussed how to increase the influence of women in professional careers. So they uh, influenced her career from then on. Um, In principle, the school admitted the top 30 candidates. Okay. It took Morgan three tries to get in. On the first try, she placed too low. While on her second try in 1898, although she placed well in the top 30, the examiners arbitrarily lowered her marks. Ugh. Uh, after more than a year of further study tutored by Francois Benjamin Chizemich, uh, he was a winner of the Prix de Rome. She finally passed the entrance exam in the architecture program, placing 13th out of 376 applicants. Great. Are you going to let her in now? Yeah. And she was duly admitted. Great. Uh, however, she could study only until her 30th birthday as the school prohibited older scholars, which doesn't make any sense to me. 
older scholars. So in early 1902, as her birthday approached, Morgan submitted an outstanding design for a palatial theater. This earned her a certificate in architecture, making her the first woman to receive one from the school. And she did so in three years, although the usual time of completion was five. So I'm I'm just trying to picture like architecture school at the turn of the century. Like it's not so they're drawing nice looking buildings yes they're doing a lot of drafting have to be able to stand yes so they have to be good at math yes and by this point they understand that you need to know math and it's not just like put these sticks here yeah and this will stand and be beautiful Mm -hmm. so it's just it's just interesting to think about because when you think of how like technical all of these architectural things are nowadays that it's yeah. like you know you you move your AutoCAD drawing exactly. one pixel over and it and it affects the whole thing but then you think back to you know 100 years ago and they're like I made this I drew this building now we're going to build it it better stand hope it stands yeah exactly so the fact that she had an engineering background is great but it's true, like, in order to be an architect, you also had to be an engineer, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, because if you're not, then you're just an artist, basically. You're just right. a, you're an just artist who draws d- buildings. Drawing, yeah, you're just yeah. drawing castles. Exactly. Um, so, Morgan leaves Paris. She graduated. She took employment with San Francisco architect John Gallen Howard, who was supervising the University of California Master Plan, which they were building a bunch of buildings for the University of California. Master Plan. The Master Plan. Um, She worked on several buildings on the Berkeley campus, providing the decorative elements for the Hearst Mining Building and an early proposal for Sather Gate. Uh, She was the primary designer for the Hearst Greek Theater. And Howard told a colleague that Morgan was an excellent draftsman who I have to pay almost nothing as it is a woman. Ugh. Yeah, Boo. so he was a fun boss. Boo. Um, she saved her money and made plans to work on her own, accepting important side projects, which she was allowed to do. Okay. Uh, in 1904, Morgan was the first woman to obtain an architecture license in California. Uh, she opened her own office in San Francisco where the staff knew her as JM. And I was like, hey, I'm known as LT. Good job, JM. <laughs> um, between the years of 1907 and 1910, she partnered with Ira Hoover, who was a former draftsman and co-worker of hers from when they worked at Howard. And uh, Morgan reestablished an individual private practice in late 1910. Uh, The many commissions following the 1906 San Francisco earthquake brought her financial success. So she was kind of in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, that's true. Just like Christopher Wren was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, how weird. Earthquakes and fires. Hmm. Hmm. That needs to be investigated. Yes. So Morgan's most famous patron was the newspaper magnate and antiquities collector, William Randolph Hearst. (laughs) Must be nice. I know, right? Uh, he had been introduced to Morgan by his mother, Phoebe Epperson Hurst, the chief patron of the University of California at Berkeley. Uh, it is believed that this introduction led to Morgan's first downstate commission by Hurst for the design of the Los Angeles Examiner Building, which was in 1914. In 1919, Hurst selected Morgan as the architect for La Cuesta Encantada, better known as Hurst Castle. <laughs> can, you, can you say that again? La Cuesta Encantada. Okay. I gave it a little. I gave it a little. Give it a little flair. flair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was built atop the family campsite overlooking San Simeon Harbor. Morgan employed tiles, designing many of them herself from California fans. So she designed a lot of um, arts and craft style tiles and uh-huh. things that she had put into the house itself. Cool. 
Uh, the project of Hearst Castle provided to be her largest and most complex as Hearst's vision for his estate grew ever grander over the decades of planning and construction. So he would con- apparently he would constantly like, ooh, you know, it would be great if there was a big house here. Or like, ooh, you know, it'd be great instead of one story that was 18 stories high. Like he was, <laughs> he had the money. Ah, uh, yes. So he really, she really couldn't say no to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that meant that she was just on the project for just years and years and years and it kept changing stuff. And But they seemed to be, they seemed to get along really well. Okay. Which is good. Um, <laughs> the project also included the Hacienda, a residence private guest house complex built in hybrid mission revival, Spanish colonial re- revival, and Moorish revival styles. Uh, her work on the castle and San Simeon Ranch continued until 1947 and ending only by Hearst's declining health. Oof. So she was on this project for 30 years. Yeah, easily wow. 30 years. Um, she was the first woman to receive the AIA gold medal posthumously in 2014. Cool. So uh, she was cool. Um, and finally, oh, what I had, a, I had something I wanted to say. Like, oh, please do. Like 20 minutes ago. Go ahead. Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah. His son. Yes. One of them. Uh-huh. Invented Lincoln Logs. Yes, I did know this. Oh, I should have put it in my notes. Yeah, he invented Lincoln Logs. Um, which is cool. Um, and also sad for him because he didn't really know his dad. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Well, he invented he Link- Lincoln Logs. He has his own money. But that's cool. Um, so another local connection is IM Pay, the aforementioned IM Pay. Uh he designed the Everson Museum of Art in Syracuse. Is that his first thing? Uh, no, that was late, later in okay. life. He also did the JFK Presidential Library. Yes. Uh, he is very prolific, partially because he is still alive at 101 years still old. Still alive. Still alive. There's a Twitter account about that. Still alive? No, about IMP still being alive. Really? And every year on his birthday posts. Still alive. Still alive. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know what? He lived well. I mean, he is living. I should He's alive. Say. He's alive. I keep, keep saying that. prematurely killing I know, off I'm people so in this sorry, podcast. I'm so sorry. I really apologize. I'm still apologizing to Ed Asner. Oh. Weekly. I mean, that's <laughs> fine. I mean, he doesn't know what we're doing. You know? He's not listening to this. Um, IM stands for uh, Eo Ming Pei. I'm probably Great. pronouncing that Chinese wrong. American, I apologize. Right? Chinese American. He was born in Guangzhou and raised in Hong Kong and Shanghai. He drew inspiration at an early age from the gardens at Suzhou. In 1935, Pei boarded a boat and sailed to San Francisco uh, and then traveled by train to Philadelphia. Ooh, that's a long trip. Yeah, it's a long trip. Um, he apparently used to, like, um, he loved to watch, like, uh, movies and read books about like American college students. And he was like, I want to be an American college student. And oh. he, he chose the university of Pennsylvania because um, it, he had read like a book or an article about university of Pennsylvania college students. Okay. And they seemed like so American and so wow. like, you know, red blooded and like they play sports and they do their studies and then they like, they become <gasps> successful, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, so unfortunately what he found differed vastly from his expectations. Yeah. So professors at the University of Pennsylvania based their teaching in architecture on the Beau Arts style, which was rooted in the classical tradition traditions of Greece and Rome. Um, and Pei was more intrigued by modern architecture and also felt intimidated by the high level of drafting proficiency so- shown by other students. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be an architect, but he didn't really have any like um, background in it. So he went, he went to, to University of Pennsylvania. 
He went. To I UPenn. bet he read a book about Penn State instead. And those, oh. those are the party, <laughs> the party animals. Could you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. And he like, was like, oh, no, wrong. Oh, no. Oh, wrong co- college. Oh, uh, damn. Well, he um, he he remedied this, though. He decided to abandon architecture school and he transferred to the engineering program at MIT. Uh, once once he arrived, however, the dean of the architecture school commented on his eye for design and convinced Paid to return to his original major. Aww. So MIT's architecture fa- faculty was also focused on the Beau Arts style, and Pei found himself uninspired by the work. Uh, in the library, he found three books by the Swiss-French architect Le Corbusier, and uh, Pei was inspired by the innovative designs of the new international style characterized by simplified form and the use of glass and steel materials. Uh, Le Corbusier visited MIT in November of 1935, an occasion which powerfully affected Pei. He said, the two days with Le Corbusier, or Corbu, as we used to call him, was probably the most important days in my architectural education. Corbu. Corbu. Uh, Pei was also influenced by the work of U.S. architect Frank Lloyd Wright. Okay. In 1938, he drove to Spring Green, Wisconsin to visit Wright's famous Taliesin building. And after waiting for two hours, however, he left without meeting Wright. And he Uh, never got to meet him. He was probably out having a dalliance. Yeah, he was probably cheating on his next wife or whatever. He's the worst. Um, Pei received his Bachelor of Architecture degree in 1940. Uh, So after President JFK was assassinated in November of 1963, his family and friends discussed how to construct a library that would serve as his fitting memorial. A committee was formed to advise Kennedy's widow, Jacqueline, who would make the final decision. The group deliberated for months and considered many famous architects. Eventually, Kennedy chose Pei to design the library based on two considerations. First, she appreciated the variety of ideas that he had used for earlier projects. She said, he didn't seem to have just one way to solve a problem. He seemed to approach each commission thinking only of it and then develop a way to make something beautiful. Ultimately, however, Kennedy made her choice based on her personal connection with Pei, calling it really an emotional decision. She explained, he was so full of promise, like Jack. They were born in the same year. I decided it would be fun to take a great leap with him. Oh, uh, I know. Isn't that sweet? So um, Pei then went on to design Dallas City Hall in the East Building of the National Gallery of Art. And he returned to China for the first time in 1975 to design a hotel at Fragrant Hills and designed Bank of China Tower, Hong Kong, a skyscraper in Hong Kong for the Bank of China 15 years later. In an early year, in the early 1980s, Pei was the focus of controversy when he designed a glass and steel pyramid for the Musée du Louvre mm-hmm. in Paris. So here's the story of that. Give me that dish. I'm going to give you that hot dish. So. When Francois Mitterrand was elected president of France in 1981, he laid out an ambitious plan for a variety of construction projects. One of these was the renovation of the Louvre. Mitterrand employed a civil servant named Emile Biassani to oversee it. After visiting museums in Europe and the United States, including the U.S. National Gallery, he asked Pei to join the team. The architect made three secretive trips to Paris to determine the feasibility of the project. Only one museum employee knew why he was there. Pei finally agreed that reconstruction project was not only possible, but necessary for the future of the museum. Yes. He thus became the first foreign architect to work on the Louvre. Uh, the heart of the new design included not only a renovation of the Corps Napoleon in the midst of the buildings, but also a transformation of the interiors. At the center of the courtyard, he designed a glass and steel pyramid first proposed with the Kennedy Library to serve as an entrance and an anteroom skylight. 
Uh, it was mirrored by another inverted pyramid underneath to reflect sunlight into the room. These designs were partly an homage to the fastidious geometry of the famous French landscaped architect André Le Nôtre. You're uh, killing me. I know. I'm French. so sorry. Is it André Le Nôtre? Le Nôtre? Le Nôtre? André Le Nôtre. Pay also found... Oh, you're really going to hate this next paragraph. Pay also found the pyramid shape best suited for stable transparency and considered it the most compatible with the architecture of the Louvre, especially with the faceted planes of its roofs. So, Biasani and Mitterrand liked the plans, but the scope of the renovation displeased Louvre director André Choubad. He resigned from his post, complaining that the project was unfeasible and posed architectural risks. Uh, the pyramid also, the public also reacted harshly to the design, mostly because of the proposed pyramid. One critic called it a gigantic, ruinous gadget. Another charged Mitterrand with despotism for inflicting Paris with the atrocity. Uh, Pay estimated that 90% of Parisians opposed his design. Yeah, I believe it. He said, I received many angry glances in the streets of Paris. Uh, some condemnations carried nationalistic overtones. One opponent wrote, I am surprised that one would go looking for a Chinese architect in America to deal with the historic heart of the capital of France. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you like, do you feel like you're in the streets of Paris right now? Oh, ha, he I, added, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I feel like I'm at a, at a community theater production of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, a community theater production of Les Miserables. <laughs> <laughs> No. For just a mouthful of bread. All right. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> pay. We're getting back to pay. Uh, he later returned to the world of the arts by designing the Morton H. Meyerson Symphony Center in Dallas, the Miho Museum in Japan, the Suzu Museum in Suzu, and the Museum of Islamic Art in Qatar. So he's he's making money. He is. People are like, I oh don't my God. necessarily like your glass and metal design, sir, but he is just, boy, is he getting hired. Oh, my God. Everywhere. He's, he's, he has buildings in every area code. He's, it's crazy. Um, he's also won a wide variety of prizes and awards uh, in the field of architecture, including the AIA gold medal in 1979, the first premium Imperial for architecture in 1989, the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Cooper Hewitt National Design Museum in 2003. And in 1983, he won the Pritzker Prize, sometimes called the... Finally, no- someone wins the Pritzker Prize. I know, right? The this Nobel Prize of Architecture. Uh, he retired from full-time practice in 1990, and since then he has taken on works as an architectural consultant, primarily from his son's architectural firm, Pay Partnership Architects. He also did the um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. So, okay. So, actually, I feel like I've actually been to a lot of his buildings. Yeah, as have I, and I did not More realize than you how expected. much. And so, like, walking, like, seeing the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame from the outside, you're like, this this is ugly. Yep. This is very yes. like early 1980s when everything is um, geometric yep. and everything is like this stark white and black. Mm-hmm. And but once you're inside, it's different. And that's yeah. what I feel about the JFK library, too, is the outside. I was like, oh, this isn't this isn't that pretty. Yeah. Like it's not that good. But, but you then, walk in and it's like, but the oh inside my God. was really neat. So and apparently the JFK library wasn't his entirely his plan Mm -hmm. like he had a pyramid idea but they had moved it like it was supposed to be at harvard but then they moved it away Mm -hmm. from harvard and like all this stuff so the final design was not really his design and i guess he was really disappointed by that um 
but like if you go to the Everson Museum in Syracuse, it is just oh my god, it's just it's just concrete as far as the eye can yeah. see. And also the problem with famous architects building museums is that they don't care about the museum stuff. Like, yeah, we need flat walls that you can drill holes into. <laughs> we need we need lighting, not just just walls that are glass to yeah. let all the light in exactly like we need like enclosed spaces it's very hard to contain the temperature of the gallery exactly when it's all glass the everson the entire um lobby area they can't put any art in yeah because the walls are like uh poured concrete that look like uh cardboard they're uh-huh. like that corrugated okay. style so they can't they can't hang anything yeah. in there the floors isn't like large enough to put like a sculpture. So you walk in and it's just like, here's a staircase and the front desk. Oh, it's crazy. Bye. Have fun. So, um, you know, and it's the same thing with the, uh, the Guggenheim. Yeah. It's just all curves. And the Guggenheim curators were like, what am I supposed to do with this? I can't hang any art in here. It looks like a toilet bowl. It's ridiculous. So, um, so my quiz today, I was like racking my brain. I was like, I'm not going to do it on buildings, blue, bit of blue. And I was like, I know I'll do it like sort of related because of the Guggenheim mm. and like different kinds of buildings and art deco and skyscrapers and that kind of thing. So I decided to do my quiz on New York City. All right. Here we go. Question number one. The Empire State Building is just one of New York's best-loved landmarks. Built in 1930 and completed in just over a year, it cost $24 million to build. Within five, how many floors does it have? Question two. What president was born in New York City? Question three. New Yorkers love to abbreviate names. For example, Soho is short for South of Houston. Tribeca is the triangle below Canal. But what is Dumbo? Question four. New York's most famous landmark is almost certainly the Statue of Liberty. Most of us know that it was a gift from France in 1886, but what is the statue's full name? Question number five. What is the longest-running Broadway show? Question number six. Within 100 acres, how big is Central Park? Question number seven. Most people know that New York was originally called New Amsterdam, but what was the official transitional name in between the two? Question number eight. At what club in Manhattan did the Ramones, Blondie, Talking Heads, and countless others jumpstart their careers? Question number nine. On June 30th, 1960, this island in New York Harbor, home to the Statue of Liberty, was officially renamed Liberty Island. What was its name before? And finally, question number 10. Which of these weird New York City laws is not true? A. Eating in the ocean is illegal. B. Honking your car horn is illegal. C. Women are prohibited from going topless. Or D. Yelling, I'm walking here, is illegal in Manhattan. I'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be right back with answers. Shake my to my cat. 
She's mad at me now. All right. Question number one. The Empire State Building is one of New York's best loved landmarks. Built in 1930 and completed in just over a year. It costs $24 million to build. Within five, how many floors does it have? Um, 53. There are 102. Okay. Uh, All when, right. This, oh, we can already tell how this is going to go. Oh, geez. You're not getting graded. I promise you. Uh, when the Empire State Building was first opened, it was planned that airships would use it for docking. Uh, this turned out to be Did rather... Did they ever do that? No, it turned out to be too <laughs> difficult, and the idea was abandoned. Um, there is a public observatory on the 86th floor. The building has 73 elevators, and the journey from street level to the 86th floor takes less than a minute. It's pretty fast. Yeah. Okay, question number two. What president was born in New York City? All right, so if we're talking presidents who were born in the, like the state of New York, mm-hmm. You have FDR. Yes. You have maybe Teddy Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Millard Fillmore out here. Yeah. Millard uh, Fillmore was upstate. Uh, I'll just say Teddy Roosevelt. You are correct. Great. Teddy Roosevelt was born on 20th Street. You like can visit on his the house. Yes. Just dumped into a gutter. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. His parents were terrible. No, that's not true. Um, okay, New Yorkers love to abbreviate names. For example, Soho is short for South of Houston. Tribeca is the triangle below Canal. But what is Dumbo? Okay. You it's got like, this. It's like down, under. Yep. Manhattan. Yes. Bridge. Yeah. Overpass. Yes! Good job. Yay! Down, under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. Uh, it's in Brooklyn. Uh, there is also Nolita, which is north of Little Italy. I didn't know that. Aww. That's okay. the night. I You're like doing that. great. You're doing I great. I bet you someone has named their kid Nolita. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's like 50 Nolitas just like in Nolita. The, and their sister is, is Soho. Soho. Yeah. And then their and poor kid. Their poor kid is Dumbo. The youngest is Dumbo. <laughs> the dog is Dumbo. Oh, yeah. That's good. Okay. Question number four. New York's most famous landmark is almost certainly the Statue of Liberty. Most of us know that it was a gift from France in 1886. But what is the statue's full name? No, when you asked that, my first instinct was to be like, uh, Géraldine Marie <laughs> Statue Liberté. Liberté. Um, I didn't know this. I've I, seen the deed. Okay. I, I can't pull it. It's called The Statue of Liberty Enlightening the World. Lighten, lighten, and, and lightning. Like, and lightning, like lightning, like brightening. Yeah. Not uh, lightning, like... No, no, no. Enlightening. E-N-L-I-G. Oh, enlightening. Yeah, like, enlightening. Like... Ooh, yes, like, like bringing brains. knowledge. Okay. Yes. Um, as mentioned before, she was sculpted in 1886 by Frederick Auguste Bertoldi. She is 152 feet high. She stands on an 89-foot pedestal. Uh, the New Colossus is the name of the sonnet by Emma Lazarus quoted on the base. And it used to be uh, shiny copper, but has now developed a beautiful green verdigris. Uh, and the model for the statue was um, most likely Bertold's uh, brother-in-law. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that's why she has such a masculine face. Very Italian. Um, what is the longest running Broadway show? Okay. 
Give me, give me, give me something okay. here. Give uh, me like a mul- fake multiple choice. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to give you some hints. Okay. okay. Longest running Broadway show. It is a very popular show. Um, it it's was, very popular because it's been running the uh, longest. It um, it is done. It was made by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, that is well. That's what I'm between Cats and Phantom of the Opera. It's Phantom of the Opera. Okay, yeah. It has been open since January 26, 1988. It is as old as my sister. It is 30 years oh. old. It has. They put on like over 9,000 performances since 1988. It's crazy. It's a lot. Um, it is okay as a play. Yeah, a I fell asleep play. during it. Yeah, I mean it's fine. It's fine. You know, like any Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, it's perfectly fine. I'm sure in the 80s it was like. Oh my god, it was like a revelation people Everybody were like bought posters oh. oh my parents had the soundtrack and i used to sing along to it oh my god especially masquerade masquerade i loved it but i was a very sensitive theatrical teen okay uh question number six within 100 acres how big is central park just take a stab just take a stab at it julia you're not getting graded how big is central park in acres like like 940 you are correct in that you are within 100 acres 843 acres it takes up six percent of manhattan square acreage there you go okay number seven most people know that new york was originally called new amsterdam but what was the official transitional name between the two it's a very dutch thing it's a it's a dutch thing it's a dutch color we'll say <laughs> it's not tulip okay it's new orange it was called new orange in 1624 the dutch occupied what they then called new new amsterdam after holland's biggest city in 1664 the city fell into the hands of the british when peter stuyvesant signed it over and it was renamed new york after the duke of york but in 1673 the dutch with their fleet of ships regained control of new york harbor and their leader renamed the colony new orange i have never heard that Neither had I. This was officially its name for a year until it was permanently ceded to the British under the Treaty of Westminster. Great. There you go. Okay. Question number eight. At what club in Manhattan did the Ramones, Blondie, Talking Heads, and countless others jumpstart their careers? Okay. It's not Studio 54. No. It's a famous rock and roll club. People would sign the walls. It closed like two years ago, three years ago. Every rock and roll club in New York. Where everyone would sign their name. I don't know. It's CBGB's. It's on Bowery and Third, and the letters mean country, bluegrass, and blues. I didn't know it stood for anything. Okay. Okay. Question number nine. On June 30th, 1960, this island in New York Harbor, home to the Statue of Liberty, was officially renamed Liberty Island. What was its name before? I don't know. Okay. It's called Bedloe's Island. It's part of the National Park Service. Liberty Island was known as Bedloe's Island from the mid-1760s until 1960. It was named after Isaac Bedloe, a businessman from New Amsterdam, who originally named it Love Island. Uh, after his death in 1673, his daughter named it Bedloe's Island in honor of her father, and over the years, the spelling became anglicized into Bedloe's. In 1871, Frederick Bertoldi visited America and chose the island as the site for the Statue of Liberty. Okay. Excellent. Finally, question number 10. Which of these weird New York City laws is not true? A, eating in the ocean is illegal. Oh, wait. I'm supposed to say true, true, yeah. false. Yeah. Okay. So which is not true? Which so is only not true. One is not true. One is false. Yes. Okay. Eating I, in the ocean is illegal. 
I think, yes, it's illegal. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> Eating in the ocean is illegal in New York City. Two, honking your car horn is illegal. Well, can you just read all of them? Okay, honking your car <laughs> horn is illegal. Women are prohibited from going topless. Yelling, I'm walking here, is illegal in Manhattan. Okay, I think being topless is not illegal. Uh, yes, it is not illegal. Good job. <laughs> Um, I was most surprised by honking your car horn is illegal in New York City, except for emergencies, but no one listens <laughs> but to no it. But no one listens yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. Just so, like there's plenty of people out there eating in the ocean. Yeah, they're just snacking away on big pretzels in the ocean. <laughs> so that was my uh, topic on architects and my quiz on NYC. New York City. NYC. NYC. So. Well, thanks, Lauren. Oh, hey, anytime. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. We got <laughs> we have we do have a listener submitted trivia. Yes. Come to us all the way from Sydney, Australia. Oh my gosh, that's it's so, so far away. It's so funny to us. I love it. When like It'll someone that is not in our immediate like friend group in Rochester listens to us. It it's really, blows my mind constantly. It's so funny. So, yeah, Paul S from Sydney, Australia, let us know that um when we were talking, we were just like chit-chatting in the Babe Didrikson and Zaharias episode, and we might have mentioned something about truffle pigs. Yeah. And um, Paul let us know. He said that dogs are actually preferred truffle hunters because they don't try to dig up the truffles like pigs do. So the dogs will sniff them out. Yes. And then you got to dig them up. But pigs, if they, they sniff will, them, they're going to go. They will snick snack away. Munch them up. So thanks so, so much. yeah, thanks, Paul. Yeah, thank you, Paul. It's again, I can't believe <laughs> your toilet doesn't flush the right way. Like I can't I still can't believe that like that's that we have people from elsewhere. So it's winter there right now. It's winter. How is that even possible? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so um if you want to submit some listener submitted trivia, um, you can email us at misinfopod at gmail dot com like Paul did. Uh, you can tweet at us at misinfopod. You can uh, write a post on our Facebook page, misinformation colon a trivia podcast. Or you can uh, write a comment on our website, triplewdub.misinfopod.com. Yes. And um, if you're listening to us, thank you. Um, if you want to tell other people how to find us, we're on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and whatever podcast app you prefer using our RSS feed. Please, please rate, review, and subscribe. Yes, please tell a friend, rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you so much to all of our current listeners. We appreciate you so much. Yeah. And, uh, and we will catch, we'll you, catch next you next time. time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. have no hints in any of those questions they are they are very hardly they are very they're written very difficult much difficult these aren't hard how many acres is central park <laughs> within a hundred acres <laughs> do you want me to include that all right here we go